0: Thanks for listening to The Piercing Talk Show. My name is David Angelus, and I pierce out of Talisman Tattoo in Plymouth England. I've been piercing full-time for five years, and I'm a member of the United Kingdom Association of Professional Piercers. As an avid historian, as well as a piercer, I want you to document the past of our industry, as well as collecting the voices of today. I've invited some friends, colleagues, and industry idols to come and talk to me about their experiences in the modern and historic British piercing industry. My hope is that we can all grow as piercers, learning about where we've been. Hello and welcome to week 12 of um, piercing talk show. Um, I'm going to launch into this one quite quickly this week again um, because um, once more um, it is um, quite a long interview. uh, this week we've got um, Charlie Bow, who currently pierces um, out of, um, of of Maria Tash in London, um, and um, as well as that, Charlie is um, the UKAPP um, archivist. Um, she was one of the founding members um, of UKAPP. Um, she's worked at um, Guru Body Piercing um, in in Brighton, which is another one of the UK's most prestigious studios. In fact, she she helped set it up, um, and um, Uh, On top of that, she has also um, uh, been instrumental in setting up the um, uh, Pierce's Support Fund, which um, a great many Pierce's have utilised during the pandemic to help support them because a lot of us are self-employed and for various reasons haven't had um, either a lot or certainly enough financial support all the way through. Um, So, um, I really feel like what Charlie doesn't know about the last sort of 10-15 years of this industry really almost isn't really worth knowing and there's um, a, a whole lot more of this interview that I think probably could have been done if we weren't already at the absolute limit of the time we could spend um, doing it. So um, I, I hope you all enjoy the interview um, and I'll, I'll, I'll see you on the other side of it. Okay, so I'm here with um, Charlie Boulot from uh, Maria Tash in London. Um, do you want to um, introduce yourself a little bit, Charlie?
1: Hi, I'm uh, I'm Charlie. I work for Marine Tash based in London. I've been piercing about ten years now, and uh, come to have a little chat on
0: this podcast. Cool. So I always try and start off with people's early life, just because you know people are are more than just piercers, um, and I think it's nice to cover that. Um, uh, Not that we're just piercers, of course, in any circumstance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in London, or?
1: I didn't. I only moved to London a couple of years ago. I grew up in Hampshire, in sort of the south of the country. Moved around a little bit as a kid, so I was in Hampshire up until I was about 10, hence the accent and the extra R's put in the middle of words. And then moved to the West Midlands, then Shropshire, then down to Portsmouth, then up to Derby, then to Wolverhampton, then to Scotland, then to Brighton, then to London.
0: Okay, (laughs) and that's all in... <laughs> um, so you, you uh, not to skip ahead too much, right? I know you pierced in, in in Brighton and so, and Scotland as well, right? So that's all inside like ten years, right? Like for for the most part before I Brighton. I
1: mean,
0: um, that's quite a lot of moving around. Well,
1: no, it was. I, I when I count growing up, I very much count my formative college years in that. So uh, okay. I was in Hampshire until I was ten, okay. and then from the age of ten to twenty is when I did. Um, up until Derby, I think it was, okay. and then the rest of my life was uh, in the last few places. <laughs> okay,
0: cool. uh, so yeah, you've moved around um, quite a lot as a, as a teenager. Then, um, when did you first develop an interest in like piercing body modification more generally?
1: Uh, probably when I was living in Shropshire, where I was in Shropshire was uh, small. It was a bit more of a, a market town sort of setup. And to be perfectly honest, a little bit boring for a teenager, so I started getting into the countercultures that were available to me, which was rock music, and I ended up hanging out with some older friends who had tongue piercings, lip piercings, stretched ears, all the older punk kids that hung around town just seemed like the coolest people in the world to me when I was like 13, 14, and that's when I really started to get interested in it,
0: for sure. Um, uh, it, what kind of date range is this, if you don't mind me asking? Is this, like, early 2000s, or...? Oh, it's showing
1: my age now. It's going to be Sorry. about 2002, 2003, about then. Oh, okay,
0: right. And was there a big, kind of, like, um, was it? Uh, were, were there shops you could go to in Shropshire that would give you, uh, you know, reasonable piercing, or...? Uh...
1: There was one really good shop, one really good shop, or maybe not a really good shop, but a really good piercer, and after I passed my GCSEs and got all the grades I wanted to get into college, I thought, oh, I'm going to go get a piercing, I'm going to treat myself, and I took my friend along with me to what was the local piercing shop in this tiny market town, and it was quite intimidating to someone that was a bit bookish, a bit shy. But I went along and I met this piercer, and she did a sternum surface piercing for me. And uh, it was the coolest thing in the world. It honestly felt like she was pulling the skin up off my chest, because I've never experienced anything other than ear piercings before that. But it was honestly the coolest thing I had ever done. And that piercer ended up being somebody I reconnected with a few years later. And she's an incredible tattoo artist now, and is actually a big part of our industry. Coincidentally. Oh,
0: cool. I mean, that's that's quite a jump in. Like, so, I mean, did you just have your lobes before you did a sternum? Cause I mean, like, usually speaking, like if someone comes in and I've never pierced them before, I try and move them away from any surface piercing before we've done something else first. So like, that's quite a big jump like, cause I don't really know how people are gonna react to it. It's...
1: I mean, I'm totally, totally the same. Um, if someone came in for a surface piercing now, be like, okay, cool these are a pain, these leave big scars, are you sure? But back then, um, I think it was still an emerging industry as far as kind of what we could get away with, and the idea, I think, at the time was, let's encourage people to be interested in this, let's not put these rules down, because it was still, even then, it was a developing industry, but it was nowhere near as mainstream. And I'd started to stretch my ears quietly in between lectures with uh, what I thought was the best thing at the time, acrylic stretches. Please, (laughs) nobody do that now. So I guess having these huge, ugly spikes hanging out my ears kind of gave me the look of someone who vaguely knew what they were doing. Plus, I took along a heavily pierced friend with me as backup, so I was like, maybe this person will make me seem a bit more serious. I don't know. (laughs) But thankfully, she was really informative. She gave me incredible aftercare, and it was just through a, a badly timed accident that the piercing ended up rejecting. But it was honestly, I've tried to have it again several times since, but the scar tissue now is just doesn't quite support it, which is a shame.
0: Yeah, it is a shame. It, like, they're probably the surface piercing that I get asked for most frequently, Statenham. I do very little surface work. But um, I'd like to do more. I really would. But yeah, they're um, they're still definitely one of my favourite surface piercings. Like it never happened, but um, maybe one day. I have to get pretty high, I think. Um, anyway, um, so um, you were like you were like sixteen at this point. Um, uh, what was the aftercare? You said that you, she gave really good aftercare. What what, what was it? If you don't know mind asking.
1: At, at the time, it was better than most places because she recommended doing a sea salt soak. Okay. which I had not heard before. I've been to a couple of shops to get my ears pierced a few times and I've been told Savlon spray, oh, which, man. again, nowadays we know is definitely not the way forward. Yeah. So the fact that she was recommending me this thing that was not only it felt real good because it was nice and warm, but it cleaned it well. It meant minimal fat and fuss. And other than that, she just told me to just not touch it, leave it alone. And honestly, it's one of the best pieces of advice I've I carry through to my clients these days is one of the best things you can do is just not touch it because that's how I've always found my piercings appeal the best. Cleaning regularly, leave it alone. Okay. Old-fashioned lither.
0: Yeah, yeah, I still do lither. Um, I, 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 I think yeah, just just leave it alone. It's fine. It's a minor wound. Let's let's just treat it as a minor wound.
1: <laughs> and obviously, nowadays we have companies. Various companies offering sterile saline sprays. That's again another step up in simplifying everything and making it easier. Yeah. And if that had been more readily available back then, I would have jumped at the chance to use that because it meant not having to sort of sneak salt from the kitchen and boil the kettle and hide it from my mum.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when you when you left college, did you you think you were going to go be a piercer, or was it was like a did you have a different career planned, or?
1: So when I'd gone to college, I'd gone to study music, I was a guitar player, and I'd gone to a college that was really good for musicians. However, I became um, more and more aware, especially as I progressed through the course, that maybe I wasn't as good a guitarist as I needed to be to do what I planned on being, which was a session musician. And Session musicians generally have to be able to read music very quickly, play very well without any real instruction um and i just wasn't that good so i started <laughs> sort of alternative careers and by this point i've got my lip pierced which had been on my to-do list as soon as i had like my college money come in i was like all right to the shop to get my lip done and uh i figured you know this is actually a really cool job well, who wouldn't want to do this all day it's just creating things that like genuinely, you get people coming in because they want something they desperately want to evolve as a person with their look, with their self-esteem and I thought that was just something really magical and uh, ended up going around all the local piercing shops to uh, beg an apprenticeship
0: Cool, how long did it take before one said yes?
1: Well, I'd gone to one place in particular that I would now describe as a bit of a less of a piercing shop and more of a you know, every town has that kooky alternative shop that yeah. sells fingerless gloves and has black eyeshadow or white foundation. And it's a bit of a mecca for anybody in their local area, like you've got the goth shop. Yeah. And it was a bit of a goth shop with a piercing studio above it. And I'd gone in there and asked their head piercer a few times, oh, I really want to learn how to do this, I really want to learn, I'll, I'll come in, I'll work really hard. And they're like, we don't have anything, we don't have anything. And I probably kept this up for about six months, like every time I was in town, I'd pop my head in, or I'd buy a new plug or tunnel and just remind them, hi, it's me again. And uh, eventually, she buckled and said, all right, my other piercer is space, you can come in every Saturday, do what he says, you're not going to get paid. And uh, I was like, yes, finally, a big break. So uh, from that point, I went in, and uh, <laughs> every Saturday that I wasn't hungover for, I would go in, and I'd sweep floors, unload stuff from the autoclave, pack stuff up into the autoclave and just sit quietly in a corner whilst the other piercer talk to his clients. Cool. How long did you stay there for? About a year, I think it was, before okay. I, uh, I moved out of town, right. at which point, obviously, I was about 19, thinking I knew everything, okay. genuinely thought, oh, this is easy, I know all you need to know about piercing, because I think everyone has a, well, at least... I certainly had a phase of thinking I was a bit of a rock star with it, despite knowing absolutely nothing in comparison.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I, we, we've talked about this quite a lot, like that rock star thing. I think has gone away a little bit. It's certainly reduced because when I first came to piercing, in like, uh, like, when I first started getting pierced in like two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Like piercers were rock stars, and they would definitely all acted like it. And i like to think that's gone away a bit now, but maybe it hasn't. I don't know. It might just be that I've talked to a better group of piercers now.
1: I I generally feel that that attitude may have gone away a little bit because the community has grown so much closer though. I think before, you were the piercer of your town and you would talk badly about the other shop, which is not the best thing to do. You would think that you are, are the god to all the teenagers in town. I think the more we've grown as a community and the more we communicate with each other and share our skills and our knowledge, the less that attitude has evolved into anything. And I think you're right, it has gone away because we know we're not rock stars, but we're a community trying to do something pretty awesome. And it's just—it's more of a privilege to do it than um, you demand the respect for it, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and the, it, it's so easy to see someone who's, not, I think no matter who who you are, there's always someone better on Instagram, you know? Um, so it's really difficult to kind of be like, yeah, I'm the absolute best piercer that's ever existed, because Instagram is a click away, and it will very happily show you that you're probably not the best piercer that's ever existed. <laughs> yeah,
1: until I can pierce like Luis Garcia,
0: then I'm not happy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I wonder what he does though. I imagine he flicks through Instagram, just like oh, I wish. I'd... No, he doesn't. He definitely doesn't. He's too good. No. Uh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
0: so um, when you moved away, did you um, um, did you do you find another piercing job straight away, or did you like there was a, was there a break at all? Or? No,
1: there was a bit of a break there. I uh, I'd come away from college with some pretty heavy debts, and when I moved away, I was moving away to. Um, start afresh a little bit from where I'd been in college and there was no piercing shop in town there was no piercer in town that I can remember so there was no jobs going so I just got jobs doing whatever I could in order to pay the bills so I ended up working in Marks and Spencer's lingerie and menswear mm-hmm. and uh, working in a uh, a nightclub slash comic book store sorry? <laughs> <equally>. yeah um, <laughs> What? store during the day okay and uh a cocktail bar at night so i was working as a because i've been working in pubs on and off during college i went in again thinking i knew everything and then i was put on table service and i was feeling but it paid the bills so unfortunately piercing had to take a bit of a back seat for a while and it probably did me a bit of good to not instantly get another job because i feel like there was still a lot of maturing i had to do before i could have committed to it full-time
0: fair enough yeah um i'm really disappointed that they didn't try and do a comic book stop and a club like opening together that would have been a club i definitely Um, would have gone to
1: right i'm a massive marvel nerd and x-men is like my all-time favorite comics so i was really excited it's like oh no way i'm gonna be able to like flick through comic books and drink cocktails and like absolutely not we shut the comic books at five and you get here at 12. (laughs) It's disappointing.
0: It, if Pearson doesn't work out, I'm opening that. I might open it anyway. Right? Yeah. Plymouth's not got a good club. Like.
1: Just not expensive comics. Okay. Be a first edition.
0: Right. <laughs> I'm not sure Plymouth's like two comic book shops. has got. I don't think it's got anything like really collectible in it. So, maybe the market is in high end comics in Plymouth. <laughs> I mean,
1: there is a market for high end of whatever you're doing,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. <laughs> Um cool. Um so um how long was it before you before you got back into piercing? Was there was it a significant break or
1: It was probably about a year. So when I'd gone okay. to Derby, um circumstances meant I didn't have much money, it was a bit of a tough time getting used to being in a new town where I didn't know anyone and eventually moved to Wolverhampton after circumstances changed a little bit in the situation I was in and I managed to get a job there which paid a little better and it meant I only had to do one job but it was again it was a nightclub job and it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing so at that point I started looking into options if I can't find a piercing job maybe I can just make a piercing job which um, led me to go to the Prince's Trust and find out all I could about funding my own business piercing
0: Oh wow, so you decided to open up by yourself, like pretty early on in your career.
1: Very early on, too early on, I have to say. Well, again, I, I I'd done my apprenticeship, but it hadn't been a very thorough one. The techniques were outdated even then, but obviously I didn't know that at the time because this is me learning for the first time. So I again, I just I really wanted to do it. I had the drive to do it, but the only way I could think of finding a job was to. Open up on my own, and it seemed like a good idea at the time, and I'm not regretting having no. done it. But it was a lot of hard work.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, that's incredible. I mean, like I like it was kind of roughly in the same boat. Is that I'd done like a tiny, tiny bit of, um, piercing, um, and when there were no jobs, I just kind of just went, oh well, that's it then. Uh, you know, no more. Um, so, I mean, that's, I mean, I, how many, you would have been, what the, I mean, you weren't, you weren't the only studio in, in Wolverhampton when you, when you opened up,
1: or were you? Um, there was two other studios at the time that I was aware of. Okay. There was a large chain in the UK, mm-hmm. um, that I shan't mention by name, but there was one of these chain shops there. And I'd been in there and I'd asked for a job, again, not really knowing, Anything about standards or what I was looking for when I was looking for a studio. So I'd gone in, they hadn't got any jobs, and they wouldn't have taken me on. They told me anyway because I'd already been trained via an apprenticeship, whereas they like to do everything more in house.
0: Yeah.
1: And there was another one which was a shop which is still there, I think, and I think they still have an in-house piercer, um, which was more of a jewelry sales, um, early two thousand, late nineties, early two thousands vibe. Lots okay. of holographic pictures with skeletons on motorbikes, that kind of thing. Okay. And um, it, again, it was a very small shop. They already had a piercer. And they didn't seem to have much of a demand for piercing. Yeah. So they only had a piercer, like, I think one day a week on a Saturday or something. So they really didn't need anyone else at the time.
0: Okay. So it sounds like you looked at kind of, and sorry, I don't want to put words in your mouth at all. Um, it sounds like you looked at both of those shops and went, yeah, no, nah, neither of those. So, what what was different about, about your shot to uh, the other two?
1: Oh, I'd gone in fully with the uh, let's make piercing friendly approach. Okay. So, i I've gone into. I remember going and getting my lip pierced at 17, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people will relate to this is the, the irony of being a piercer that has a needle phobia. So, I'd always take friends with me yeah. because these places always made it feel worse because there's these big biker dudes that seemed to be the only piercer that existed apart from the very first theatre I went to and she was in a big biker shop and I just thought what would be nice is if there was somewhere that felt a little less Hells Angels biker club feel to it so I very much went down the path of painting it pink I'm having fun colours we're going to have a friendly service it's going to be professional i got pink gloves and everything I was really into it
0: I still wear pink gloves. I love pink gloves. I think they're great. They're so disarming because no one expects me to put them on and then it just immediately, the ice is broken as soon as I've got them on. It's great. It's a fantastic, happy colour.
1: I'm all about
0: it. <laughs> I just ordered myself a bunch of pink masks as well. They're going to be great. I'm really looking forward to them. Yeah. Um Yeah. Sorry, um, I'm going to sidetrack a little bit. Um, so, um, if you don't mind me asking, how long were you in that studio? How long did that, did that studio, I, I presume it's not still open now.
1: It is certainly not. It lasted two years. Okay. And um, again, I think my inexperience really showed with that, not only with piercing, but with business. I had always had a bit of a a dislike of maths and having to do my own accounts was the most stressful thing I've ever had to do. And honestly, if I'd known in hindsight, I would have got somebody to do it for me and I would have paid them the money because it was so much hard work and also not picked the best location i've been lucky to find a space in a hair salon and the people i worked with were wonderful they were very accommodating but it was a bit out of town so there wasn't really much business and uh, it was only after going to my first conference that i really realized i was in over my head business wise so after going to it was bmx in germany um Mm -hmm. i came back and decided i'm not actually that good at running my own business I need to look into another option here
0: Okay, so did you you first attend a BMX whilst you were working there or
1: to me, I was at this studio that I was running yeah. whilst I was at BMX and I'd been looking into loads of different ways to get better at piercing without having anyone that I could talk to and I accidentally stumbled upon the website of a Mr. Skelly Okay. Yep. Um, who took horses in certain piercing techniques so I thought oh I'm going to email him um, and then he emailed me back saying look this is quite advanced. Thing, it's probably not the best time for you to be doing this but there's a conference that goes on every year I'll be teaching certain things there so if you have your license ready then you can prove that you're a piercer then get a ticket and come to Germany and it was the best thing I'd ever done it was amazing and I'm very I've, I've been very grateful to mr Skelly and brian from from that point onwards so i made a point of germany going up to him hi i'm the person that emailed you and he's just such a wonderful friendly person it was the best advice i could have got at the time
0: he is yeah um, i i i've only met him once and i fanboyed and then ran away um which was near enough one of the most embarrassing things i've done in my career so far um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And next time I go to a conference, <laughs> I'm going to definitely try and make the effort to not be quite so ridiculous around Ryan. He
1: He's the most Zen guy in the world and he is so used to people fangirling over him, but he never gets flustered and he's always so humble and gracious and he poses for so many photos every day. I don't think, you might have found it embarrassing, but I very much doubt he would have found it a little bit embarrassing at all.
0: <laughs> oh good, that's good to know actually. Um, so I mean when you you didn't make um uh, did you make any like connections with British peers whilst you were at BMX or do you feel like that it still wasn't the time for that yet
1: I did I um, I was quite lucky I had a, a good friend of mine that I'd met on Tumblr that um was volunteering at BMX so he was German I went over and like crashed at his place and whilst he was volunteering I could always pop by the booth and be like hi there's loads of people here and everyone speaks so many languages <laughs> um but then one class I was in, I had I'd sort of gone out gone out for a, a breath of air during the break. I, I heard some English voices, so I gravitated towards them. I was like, "Hi, you guys, are you guys English?" I went, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh, thank God! Can I please talk to you?" And it turned out to be my current work colleague Peter Mumpton and his then apprentice Paige. And for anyone that's not met Peter. He is the most wonderful man on the planet next to, obviously, you know, your good self. But uh, <laughs> he's been a, a firm friend ever since. And BMX has been a really good place to make new friendships. I've met so many of my friends there. I met people like Brio, um, and Eric, Aiden. Um, I, think I met Nikki that year, actually, Nikki Holmes. I was wandering around looking a little bit lost, and she just said, oh, are you from England? I was like, yeah, yeah. Great, come with me. Grabbed my hand and started taking me around the place. And I was just like, who is this little blonde Tasmanian devil? (laughs) And thank God she's here to make me feel a little less awkward. She seemed to know everyone, know everything, and I was just in awe. And I was really grateful for her sort of taking me under a wing a bit that year too. I was incredibly... And cowed by the whole experience. It I just felt I think every now and then you'll have a an epiphany. You'd be like, oh my God, oh I'm not good enough to be doing this. Whoa, big imposter syndrome situation. And that was that entire week. And it'd been a bit of a rough week for me generally and I just came away from it being grateful for those little connections with Nikki and Peter because it made me feel a little less homesick.
0: Yeah. I know, like it's like having. uh, I I've not been to BMX yet. I really wanted to go. Like I'd planned to go last year, but that obviously didn't pan out. Um, So like um, like I've not been to to Vegas yet either. Um, And more than Vegas, I want to go to BMX. Like that's the one like I want to go to next. Um, But even like having been to UKAPP, like the like people being friendly just transforms the whole experience for you. like, yeah, like I walked in and I was terrified. And uh, Mike from, um, oh, oh dear, um, <laughs> he pierces in Carlisle. I've forgotten his studio name, and hopefully oh. he doesn't message me afterwards and kill me. Uh, but he's <laughs> uh, Doctor Beat on Instagram. Um, uh, he just walked straight up. I'd been there like thirty seconds. He was like, "Hi, how are you?" I was like, "Oh, good. Thank God, someone's being friendly." And yeah, it transforms the entire week for you just having someone be there and, and, and be nice, it really kind of makes you feel part of that community, right? Okay. Um, so you, you came back from BMX and did you, how, how much longer did you spend before you kind of thought like, okay, I'm going to close this place and, and, and move on to something else?
1: I gave myself a couple of months to kind of apply what I'd learned in a conference and I'd taken so many notes and I was just thinking to myself, this is intense. And again, at the time, I was in a bad situation. Locally, there wasn't any business that I really came across. And again, at that time, I didn't really know how to promote myself very well. So I started looking online, trying to find other opportunities, other piercing jobs that were maybe more stable. But it was only when I found a it was only when I found a a, a job that I decided. That was going to be the course to go down, maybe go back into a studio, work with other pieces for a while, and try to walk a little before running again.
0: Okay, cool. Where was that? You don't mind me asking.
1: Um, I went to Glasgow. Okay. That's when I moved to Scotland. Um, so that would have been 2003, no, 2013. Oh, time. <laughs> so somewhere around there, I, was when I found a job online that they were happy to pay me a regular wage, and sick pay and holiday pay and and all this kind of stuff i would never had from a piercing job and I was just like oh my god I'm gonna get paid and at the (laughs) time um it was seven pounds an hour which sounds atrocious now but it was a life-changing amount for me then because I'd been trying to work off my debt and I'd been trying to afford my rent and my bills and I thought screw it let's go let's go work with some other people let's try and learn a bit more and try and Take a little bit of the pressure off myself because I'd not been coping well with running the business. I just thought it was probably the best route for me to go down professionally. Cool. And um, how long did you stay there? 10 months, I think it was in total. Okay. 10 glory months. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: And you feel like you got everything that you needed to out of that studio then? It sounds like you.
1: I mean, the best thing I took away from that studio was. Um, what not to do
0: Yeah,
1: because it was not a good studio it was very high turnover, it was cheap piercings it was bad quality jewellery um, I have met one of my best friends working with them there but it was 10 months of just working flat out every day, having to argue ethics with the boss, who wasn't a piercer he just wanted to make money and it pushed me to learn even more. I went to my second BMX net whilst I was there, and I came back with all these ideas of internally threaded jewellery and high-end jewellery, which instantly got shut down. Um, but also learning a lot more about safety practices and hygiene that I've gone back to Scotland and realized, oh, we're doing things the wrong way. And I wasn't happy with the fact that they weren't willing to change. and. It gave me more perspective on how to do things right and not just how to make
0: money. Cool. Um, I think, like, people, when you say, like, learn how not to do things, like, some of the best learning I think I've ever done is how not to do things. Uh, right. Like, yeah, like, I, I mean, like, I've worked in perfectly reputable studios where I've left and kind of still gone, okay, Well, uh, like, where the safety was good, jewellery was reasonable maybe not good but reasonable um where i've left and kind of gone right i definitely don't want to do any of that again i'm happy to take the safety think... standards and the jewelry but i don't want to work in like that level of turnover i don't want to work for you know um those kind of like walk-ins or versus appointments or whatever um, so yeah i think the best things some of the best things i've ever learned have definitely been how I'm not to go how i don't want my career to move forward maybe that's and just... i think these are the lessons that
1: people that have been through that are able to carry on to the the newer generation of peers that are coming through aren't having to make that compromise as piercers they're not having to learn the hard way and i think it's going to eventually just completely disappear because everything's if everything's growing and expanding but in a much safer happier way so it's almost like it's a good way to learn but i'm not sure if i had the opportunity to learn it again that way i would have chosen that over maybe a better apprenticeship yeah, that's fine. Obviously it's all hindsight
0: and we can only learn what we can learn. Yeah. I mean, it's so difficult to avoid now as well, like, I mean, I think every major city in the UK has a PSA that I would call reputable, um, for the most part, there might be one or two that don't, but like, I think <laughs> near enough every city has got someone that I can kind of refer clients to. Um, so if you are coming up now and you've got that, either that apprenticeship where, um, you know, maybe you're not learning the best things. Um, it's quite easy to access piercers who are happy to share the knowledge and put you onto forums and you know bring you into a community where people will genuinely try and teach you rather than withholding information and trying to you know stop the other shop from learning all their you know very insightful secrets. Um, um, so where did you go after Glasgow? Party. Where did you go after Glasgow, uh, after Glasgow? After
1: Glasgow, I went to Brighton. Yeah. And. I'd always had wonderful dreams about how cool Brighton was. I think everyone here, I've been there a few times when I was living in Portsmouth in college and I'd loved it. And I always thought if I could go anywhere, where would I go? I was like, Brighton would be amazing. So again, I'd become dissatisfied and started looking for more opportunities and had a few phone interviews with somebody that was looking for a shop manager and a piece of what would be a new shop in Brighton. And Without having to go down there, I managed to land the job, and oh. um, was quite glad to be going as well because there had been um, some situations in like my personal life which meant I would prefer to not be in Scotland, but be closer to family in the south. So this was a perfect opportunity to to move. And again, I was, you know, getting I was going to get seven pound thirty an hour. Now it's hey. getting better and better every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Uh, so were they called Guru from the start then, or um? Sorry, I have to give my ignorance there. They were.
1: They were yeah. So the studio owner, the 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 owner, um, had been a seller of jewelry online for a while under that trading name. He'd had a silver jewelry shop, like the necklaces and stuff, that was open under a different one. But he decided he wanted to open a piercing shop now, and uh, he needed a piercer to do it. So i came in and the name was decided the color scheme was already decided a wonderful neon green you couldn't miss it and it was in the heart of the lanes and i was just in my element it was wonderful so i don't if anybody hasn't been to brighton go to brighton it's a fantastic place and obviously when restrictions are lifted it's a lot more fun but it's a wonderful wonderful place to call home for that time
0: brighton is like it's amazing like Brighton has had something for me at every age i've been and every different stage of my life that i've had i can always enjoy brighton for one reason or another yeah it's a really beautiful place i've never been to guru though i should say i'm not all that familiar with um like guru's history or anything like that um so you worked um is that so sorry i'm just trying to keep this like a little bit in uh, around about what like 2013 you
1: start up guru (laughs) 2014 this was around October time I think it was Um, yeah it would have been around October um, that I moved down there and and we're talking like the, the shop was a shell there was nothing in it apart from the walls so we went in and it was like building counters and cabinets putting down flooring doing light fixtures and I was doing, oh, I'm the queen of spreadsheets, so I've got to do so many spreadsheets when I was doing, like, all the orders I needed to do. And for the first time, I could dictate what we ordered. It's the most frustrating thing, as I'm sure you're aware, when you work for other people, you don't get as much of a say. Yeah. But yeah, I've I just come back from my second BMX net and I was getting sterile gloves, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and you got them with no, you know, no pushback whatsoever, they allowed you to kind of just order within reason whatever you wanted, or you were allowed to just set that up how you wanted?
1: The boss very much trusted me to order what I needed. He had his own jewelry that he wanted to get in, which we did for the beginning, okay. which was titanium. It was, at that point, external thread. And um, but for everything else, he just let me choose what I needed so I could order sterile gloves, I could order the tools I wanted, and implements I wanted, gloves everything it was really refreshing a nice amount of freedom to have cool
0: and um like how um uh what kind of styles of piercing were you were you doing at the time in terms of like technique were you um uh, like freehand were you using some basic tools were you, like
1: so i'd integrated uh, quite a lot of freehand into my work at this point i would learned on my apprenticeship to use tools for almost everything and there was like rules, like if you're doing a tragus, you use this type of tool. If you're doing a tongue, you use this type of tool. But again, having gone to a couple of conferences and discussed a few things with different friends that I've met there, um, I've started my first freehand um, navel piercings, and they were coming out beautifully. And it was one of those moments where you're just like, oh my god, why hasn't anyone told me about this before? This is so much easier. And doing uh, freehand conches and helix piercings like it never occurred to me that you didn't have to use tools until someone told me so i was able to do a bit of both there which is really nice having again having the option and not being told oh no you need to use this because this is how we've always done it it was again a really nice time to explore my own piercing techniques and what i felt comfortable with and bring that into my work day to day
0: it was like, because um, I, I was taught much the same, you use tools for everything. Um, the only thing I was taught not to use tools with was like true helix piercings because we did so many of them and we didn't really have enough clamps to be able to clamp every <laughs> single one. So they taught us to do those freehand. and everything else had to be done with a tool. But like I look back now and think like, did I really ever properly squash someone's ear just to get a clamp on a conch piercing? Like that's that that must have been horrible for the poor people that I was.
1: And you look back and you go, wait a minute, how did I clamp a conch piercing? Like, how yeah. does the <laughs> physics of that and all the, how does it work? Yeah. And just yeah, I was just, it was very much the same. Like we had so much of certain piercings. Like you'd be in the scrub room at the end of the day, just scrubbing for your life to make sure you had these tools ready for tomorrow, yeah. and making sure you had enough forceps so you can just tighten the ball on I, I was lucky I was always taught hold it, don't click it. For uh, anyone that is not familiar with the clamps that have the little clicky section on them, it means that you can like, leave it on there without needing to be left, like, opened or closed. You don't have to apply the pressure, but yeah. I remember a couple of times people come back with bruising from when other piercers have like, clicked it on.
0: And like, oh yeah it was really tight it really hurts like oh, okay cool yeah, yeah that'll go away in a few days don't worry about it <laughs> sorry <laughs> you yeah, it's just kind of an <laughs> apology, right um, yeah I, I i was quite fortunate as well i was i was i wasn't taught to click um yeah I, I i still that that baffles me i can't imagine how painful it must be to have something clicked onto like your tongue or your navel or something like that that must be
1: Really oh, quite painful. Don't tell me you've never spent a bored hour just clamping
0: yourself as hard as you could just to see what it felt <laughs> <to> like. See- <laughs> Everyone's been there. I don't know any we're clamps on so I can't <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyway, so um, you, um, uh, you must have spent like. Uh, I, I'm just thinking because, I mean, Guru were one, were one of the first studios um, to become a member of UKAPP, right? So yep. you can only have been there, what, like. 12 18 months before that organization sprung up um
1: less than that i think because the ukp was founded in 2015 i was just very lucky to be invited to join the, the the board very very early on when it was literally just a few people throwing an idea around and i'd already started making changes to the studio that i felt were important like integrating internal thread as soon as I could, which had many, many long conversations with the studio owner about that. But thankfully, because I was almost privy to everything, and I'd made a few connections with friends from the APP at that time, I was able to make more changes quicker. And obviously, I was the shop manager, and I was the head piercer. And in the beginning, I was the only piercer. And as we got a couple more people in, I was able to make more decisions i know a lot of people that work for others don't have that option so whilst it was a small studio and we certainly work within a budget we were able to kind of preempt what was going to happen because i had the insider information almost
0: and like um were there were there any other studios in brighton at the time offering internal thread and you know sort of high quality uh high quality jewelry good safety practices um or did you have to kind of build that market yourself
1: well the other shops in town were very well established and are all wonderful shops for the most part yeah. um especially our like close competition i made a point when i was first there to go and introduce myself and very much be like hi promise i'm not here to to, to screw you over <laughs> um no one was really doing high-end as such we had one one of the local shops had some industrial strengths but they'd always say, oh, it doesn't really sell, it's too expensive. And everywhere was really clean. Brighton, for the most part, had really good environmental health checks. Okay. And the environmental health officer that I spoke with when we first set up was wonderful, very thorough with her job as well, and used to go to the studios and check everything. So everyone was really doing quite a good job, I'd say, more than I'd seen previously, which made me a little nervous, I won't lie. I was like, oh, I was really hoping everyone was going to be terrible, but they're not. <laughs> um So we were definitely the first to start integrating Eternal Threaded Jewelry and eventually high-end Eternal Threaded Jewelry and it was it was never to be a competition necessarily it was like very much we're going to pick what we're doing so the closest we had to real competition was in the town over I'd say when it comes to high-end because you have uh, Quentin Inglis at Calimar and again quentin is a fantastic piercer and anyone who doesn't know his work or him and his history should check him out because he's just a wonderful human being along as well as with everything else so i knew about him and the fact that he was already doing this internal push fit jewelry which i thought oh that's ludicrous that'll fall out in an instant we'll stick with threaded thank you um so i was very much like all right Quentin's doing this stuff, we're going to go down another track so everyone has their fair share, which is why we ended up going with a different company and we did the internal threaded as opposed to push it, but it became very, very quickly, the rest of the town kind of caught on and again we were communicating with the other studios, the other piercers, we very much tried to as a shop create a nice little hub and to be again just pushing that friendly factor, in fact um, a lot of people listening will probably know of Alex Wilkins, who is now Mr. Manager, Head of Guru Piercing. Um, he was working for our direct competition. He used to just come and hang out in the shop and chat about piercings because it was interesting and obviously we don't work with him so it was somebody new to talk to until I sort of tried to poach him a little bit because we needed new places like this guy's amazing. He's a really good piercer. Everyone in town loves him. If we could get him dominate this market. Yeah. And thank he joined the team because he's just obviously taken the shot from strength to strength. Defense.
0: Yeah. I just suddenly realising that is that's gotta be every head piercer at guru has also been a UK people board member now, right? <laughs> that's all no,
1: no 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 no. There's been a fair few people through our doors over the years and okay. we've we've had an amazing array of people and piercers and to be fair it's only been me and Alex in that shop but every owner of every
0: manager of that shop has been on the board one way or another but not every piercer thankfully okay so um what uh i i i uh, I presume you went from guru to maria tash right was there no shops in between then? um do you mind me asking how that came about because obviously that's such a huge transformation for the uk industry um Uh, to have a shop of that caliber in the locations that it is um, is it's just a whole other paradigm so um, we did you go there like did you go in on the ground floor or did you come along a little bit later or
1: so I wasn't in on the ground floor but bringing back a a name from previous Peter Monkton had um, told me when they first announced they were coming to London that he was going to be applying for a job there He'd been working on his own in Southampton for many years, and he ended up getting the job. So he was telling us about it. We were obviously all seeing these people coming in and realizing, oh, everyone's realizing this is an option now. And I really feel it impacted the general industry to make gold more of a, a thing that people wanted, which again, it never occurred to us before. Like at Guru, we specifically started getting in smaller pieces and daintier pieces for gold. And I think everyone kind of felt the uh, the wave of ear piercings being the dominant thing for certainly our area. Um, but I'd sort of said Peter, oh, I'm really interested in it. And I'd been up to London to see him a few times. And because Peter and I were on the board at that point, we spent quite a lot of time in London in meetings with people like Med, trying to get corporate sponsorship for UKP, And I was just a bit flabbergasted, like, this ain't right, no, people don't come in here and buy gold all, all day, every day, don't be silly, why aren't you putting it on titanium backs, it's all solid, people can't be paying, no, um, until um, a job opportunity came up, and the head piercer, and manager of Maria Tash London, Kevin, reached out to me on Instagram, and I thought, oh, can't hurt to have a look and see what it's all about. So I went up there for a few days and kind of got to know everyone, got to know how it worked. And for me at that point in life, I was, at, I was still in debt. Like I was still paying off credit cards and loans and my princess trust fund that I got. I just thought I need to change something for, the, for me that's gonna make me feel more secure. And being a manager of a shop in Brighton was wonderful. That Brighton is crazy expensive. Yeah. Like, ridiculous. For anyone that's yeah, you, you'll know. Have, if you've been there for a day trip and then you go to the pub at the end of the day, it's like, I'll be £6 for a pint. It's like, oh, I beg your pardon? What? So I thought, if I'm going to make a change, I've got to try and you know, come at it from a different angle. So I thought, London, that seems like a sensible progression for me. And I knew at that point that I'd be leaving Guru in the best possible hands like I'd helped grow it from it being like a small tiny nothing studio into a great studio but I knew at that point I could leave it and everything would be fine I'm sure quite a few business owners feel like this like you almost don't want to leave for the weekend because you're worried something will go wrong or if you're not there you won't be able to look after things or something will burn down or electricity, something will happen. But I felt at that point I'm confident that if I chose to leave, it will only get better. And I think it just felt right to have a change. as As you heard earlier from all my moving, I can be a bit flighty at times and I get itchy feet, I want new experiences, I want to meet new people and I feel that forever learning message that we're always getting told in piercing circles and groups is absolutely true and I needed the next challenge and being a being a manager at Guru had different sorts of challenges but was taking me further and further away from physically piercing okay. and I just kind of wanted to get back into just piercing again and not having to worry about paperwork and orders and rotors and paychecks and yeah, it was... It was the
0: right decision, for sure. Cool. I, 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 I know what you mean. Like, I love running. Um, so I, I, like, I kind of run my own sort of area <laughs> um, inside a tattoo studio. It's kind of a little bit separate, but part of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I love it. I love the control. I love the freedom. Um, but there is all of that that goes along with it that sometimes I have to say that if a shop, if, sorry, if a job came up, you know, <laughs> that was as prestigious as Maria Tash or one of a number of other studios in the UK, I would be a little bit like, oh, that'd be nice. I could just pierce all day. <laughs> I wouldn't have to think about like, you know, have I definitely ordered enough libret bars and have I done my accounts properly? and. Um, uh-huh. you know, what's going on with my Instagram, am I getting enough interaction, like, you know, it would be quite nice to sometimes just leave all that behind. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about, like, um, about UKAPP and the starting of that? Is that okay? Or Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. So, um, you'll uh, so you ha- you have to forgive me, were you, you were a founding member, or?
1: Yeah, that's correct. You were? Okay,
0: cool. Um, well, I guess it's over to you, a little bit Really, how did it all, how did it all come about?
1: So I wasn't there for the uh, for the genesis of it, all, really, It was the year at BMX that I had skipped. I think it was because I was going to um, APP on the Aldi scholarship that year, so I had I sort of said, I can't afford two conferences. I'll go to. I'll, I'll skip that one. So at that one in particular, a few of the other founders had gathered and had thrown the idea in the air and again I was just lucky that when they came back they were trying to think of other people that might be interested in forming this, this group and, uh, and they asked me and it hadn't really started off as uh, an organisation as such it was more of a, this conference is great because now I've met you, you and you and we would have never met or talked or shared any ideas or techniques or experiences so what, we, what the plan was is to do meetups so the, the page that is now UKP used to be the UK piercer meetup page and once every quarter we'd pick a city out of a hat somewhere easy to get to that was fairly cheap and if piercers in the area wanted to come and hang out and chat and just talk shop for the day they, were, they could so that's how that started and it was just everybody meeting up in some rented space for the day and that eventually became the seed for the organization idea especially after um aiden and i and um, aiden was the other founding, well, another founding member we were on the same aldi scholarship and got talking more whilst we were over there and we'd start speaking with the app board people like brian skelly jeff saunders Luis garcia and uh, it became the real idea to do this because we needed something in the uk specifically because no one was an official voice as such, or it seemed like no one was, for the changes in the FGM Act. Um, For anyone that isn't familiar with what happened there, basically, the legislation was updated with the FGM Act, um, which would have essentially grouped piercings into FGM, which obviously none of us wanted to happen because FGM female genital mutilation is a horrific and atrocious, and needs to be tackled properly and we felt if piercings were being lumped in with statistics it would skew the statistics and could derail FGM prevention so we've decided well someone's gonna be a voice no one's stepping up so let's just start this thing get the ball rolling and see if it works and thankfully it seemed to do something and we tried to emulate best we could the the ethics that we wanted and the hygiene standards that we wanted studios to aim for and obviously nothing's perfect and there were definitely flaws and setbacks in the plans none of us had run an organization before we didn't know for sure whether it was going to work or if people would even be interested because this was still at a time before we'd really had a community in the uk i feel but thankfully, it's, it's done quite a lot as far as bringing people together, and the meetups were some of the most fun events. Like, and can I shout out to Paddy for creating some of the best merch? I still have all my UKPP t shirts that he made because they're just the best. And if anyone can get their hands on any more, I'll buy them from you because I want all the spares I can get.
0: Cool. Um i mean you're right it's gone from strength to strength um i uh i i so i found out about i i discovered ukpp uh in 2018 and like immediately i was like yep i want to do that i want to join that group and i finally got in in december 2020 um and to this point like thank you (laughs) yeah like it was like it's probably the high point of my career so far other than a couple of really really nice piercings which i'm like yeah i did a good job because um, I don't know about you, but like I'm hypercritical of literally everything I pierce. So very occasionally I'll do something, oh, wow. and I'm just like, "That's perfect! I couldn't have done that any better. No one in the world could have done that any better. It's a really good piercing." Um, so like, apart from maybe those piercings, yeah, UKPP has been the high point for me. So um, yeah, I, I'm genuinely grateful for you all for, for, for starting it because I, I think it really has been a great force for good, um, and I think it will continue to be so as well. Um,
1: um, yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's kind of The point of it is to almost bring us a bit closer together into, as a health and safety board, the idea was to create just a standard, which everyone can go, yep, this is a good standard. Um, So it's a a great thing to be able to join. It's obviously, some people can't join because there's things like building regulations they have to stick to, but just hitting those standards is a really satisfying thing, because you know, you're safe in yourself knowing. I'm doing everything I can to to be as safe as I can and to ensure the best standards. And if nothing else, the conferences are a lot of fun, right?
0: Yeah, I've only been to Christ. one. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I've only been to one, and it was, again, another really, really high point, certainly in my career. Um, like, I'm normally really socially awkward. Like, I don't... Like, I know I've done this, and it may be... The fact that I do a weekly podcast doesn't really convey that very well. Um, but I do not deal with large groups of people particularly well. And it's the only place I think I've ever been where I walked in and I just felt calm. Like, everyone, like, there's no ego. There's no, like, um, I don't know, there's no, like, jostling for dominance or hierarchy or anything. Um, it's just a really peaceful place. So, like, yeah, and it also is a, a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> um, would you... Um, uh, would you talk about um, uh, the Aldi scholarship? Because um, that's another uh, a, another thing which, again, I think a lot of piercers have maybe heard of, but um, I can't name an enormous amount of British Aldis other than you, Aidan, I think Nikki was one, and maybe Seth was one as well. But, right,
1: so I'm going to try and remember everyone that has been an Aldi since I've been an okay. Um. So there's myself. Aidan, uh, Jason Heaney in 2015, okay. best year obviously, um, Nikki Holmes, Marie Fowler, okay. Hannah Bow, Becky Crossen, Debbie Moore, who is my love from overseas, and if she's listening, Debbie, I miss you, I can't wait to see you soon. Um, gosh, and this year was meant to be Lucy Simmons, she was going to be with us. Um, Noel, who is, again, my brother from another mother, but is unfortunately uh, not British, although we can adopt him, I think, if we put the right paperwork in place. He's young enough to be adopted still, I think. Okay. Um, no, <laughs> honestly, the scholarship itself, it's not just for UK people, obviously. Um, it's run by the APP, and the RD scholarship is, um, is basically a way in which you can get to APP conference if you are stone broke so for me this was like the perfect chance to get to APP and to step my game up once more um it's a volunteer program and most years obviously pandemics being a bit of an exception to the rule you can apply for the scholarship online um you have to be a piercer, uh you have to kind of really need the help with the scholarship although that isn't always the case it's normally for people that wouldn't be able to afford or get there otherwise and it's a bit of a process because it's quite a thing to go for i think the year that aiden jason and i were on the scholarship i think there was something like 50 applicants for it worldwide and there was nine of us that got it i think but you do a few interviews and you do video chats and you can either write an essay or do like a video interview. So I was like, I live in Brighton, I'm going to do a video. And I, at the time, only had a camera on my laptop. So I did like a little walk to work through the lanes with my laptop perched right in front of me, hoping nobody in the street bumped into me and knocked my laptop to the ground.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> um, but Aldi scholarship covers the cost of your hotel and your conference ticket whilst you're there as well as some food so all you need to be able to do is fly out there, and if you need some spending money for conference um, generally, you need to bring that, so I think I took about 100 bucks with me that year, thinking that would be enough, it was not enough, Um, but flew out there, and you volunteer 40 hours of your time over five days to help run conference, so you're there just before it starts, you're there just after it ends, you're in charge of helping people get to their classes on time, line wrangling. You have to unpack all the merchandise, put it out on the tables, make sure speakers are where they need to be and help people with tickets for things, give them their name badges. It's the most incredible experience. And I think that the Aldi Scholars that were meant to go this year have been put on the Aldi Scholarship for next year, because obviously not their fault a pandemic happened. But if anybody is wanting to go to APP, but thinks, God, I can't afford it, it's going to be too expensive, I can't afford the time off work, then please reach out to me or to any of the other LDs because all of us will happily talk to you guys about it all day long. It's the most amazing opportunity and it's a family. It's bizarre, but some of the closest friends I've made have been other volunteers and other LD scholars and you really get to communicate with people you've never crossed paths with. I know people in middle America, I know people from Argentina, and it's just, you get thrown into this 40-hour, five days from hell in timescales, because you just got off a flight, you jet-lagged yourself, and all of a sudden you're having to stand up in a group of 50 people and say who you are and where you're from, you're like, oh my god, I'm not ready, I'm not ready for this. But then everyone else is in the same boat, and it's it's incredible, and it's in honour of somebody that's passed away. Aldi so it's a really good thing to be a part of and I've every time I've been to APP ever since I've gone back as a volunteer um because I couldn't imagine doing conference any other way I I generally think I'd fail to know what to do with my time (laughs) and it's, it's 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 a it's a bug you like it's like seeing behind the curtain or being on a film set you get to see how everything works and then all of a sudden this amazing piercing you've only ever seen on the internet has stood next to you asking you a question about where their class is at. And you're like, I'll show you, come with me. <laughs> oh my
0: god. <laughs> cool. Um, so, one of your other roles within UKPP has been archivist, right? Um, and you're in the process right, of
1: yeah.
0: developing um, uh, sort of a, 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 well, the UK piercing archive. Um, how did that come about?
1: So, um, I'm a massive history nerd. I'm a general nerd about most things I get interested in, but history has always been a passion of mine. There's something about finding stuff out that makes you feel I don't know, like a kid discovering buried treasure. It's like, oh my God, I never knew that. And I've been a big admirer of people like Jim Ward for a long time and Paul King. And I met Paul King at conference in America. And he's the—he's an archivist in the U.S. And he's collected so much information over the years. I know he's gone to study anthropology, and I just thought well, that's amazing. Why has anyone done this in the U.K.? Because there's so many people with old photos and cool memorabilia, old piercing jewelry. We need to protect this because it might not seem like the uk scene is very old and for the most part it's not in the grand scheme of things but it's going to start somewhere and years' time when our grand piercer babies are coming up through the ranks they are like nano why did you use external threaded jewelry what is that you can be like ah well i've got a photo of that son come have a look i just thought it'd be really cool to start collecting it now because so much of history gets lost because the primary sources and the evidence that people have gets, I think it's something like ninety percent of modern history is lost because yeah. it's just not saved. As nobody thinks it'll be relevant. But social history and um, archiving is just something I've been very interested in starting for a while.
0: Um, and and uh, how's it how's it how's it progressing? How much stuff have you got? If you don't know, i me asking.
1: Uh, it's progressing pretty slowly to be honest it's been a crazy year Yeah, presumably. and I'll be honest I I lack certain things like a DVD drive which uh, I only got a little later down the line and uh, I'm, I'm trying not to step on any toes because Paul King's collected an amazing amount of stuff and his collection definitely includes a lot of English history and UK yeah. history and there's a certain amount of academic um toe stepping you want to avoid and i've been picking matt loder's brains quite a bit but again don't really want to step on his toes too much it turned out paul matt and myself were all researching the exact same subject at the exact same time uh, and hadn't told each other about it so all three of us came up with the same evidence about nipple piercings in the 1800s and nobody said anything until matt did a lecture was like wait a minute i know this (laughs) guy and all of a sudden you get all so it's going so I'm trying my best to build up um, an original collection whilst other people I know will take good care of others and we can in the future share information around um, I've been lucky enough to speak with um, one of Mr. Sebastian's former apprentices who has given me a ton of information and we've been going through his archives, gone around for tea, say hello to the cats and then dig through pictures of pierced butts you know it's that kind (laughs) of thing (laughs) um that it's it's just taking me a time to organize it and make sure i'm doing everybody justice and citing everything correctly because i don't want anyone to feel like i've stolen their stuff you know it's it's a a tricky thing with history especially in the uk because most of the stuff we have in the uk is very stolen or it has not been given back properly So I'm just making sure to do it slowly. But if anybody has any photos they wanna share, I certainly don't intend to keep anything but copies of things. If you have an original copy, then I'm happy to get a scanned copy of stuff. I'd really like to build it up so in the next two or three years, there can be a proper exhibit, like a live exhibit, maybe at one of the conferences, people can come around and we can have a talk about things. And again, it's, it's not gonna be super old stuff. It doesn't go back more than 100 years, really as terms of like solid evidence goes yeah. but i really feel it's it's important to remember where we've come from and to appreciate that it's a really special thing that we do and it's come through a lot of hard work and tears and occasionally prison sentences and the more we understand our history the the better we are i think to appreciate what we've got
0: yeah I think that's one of the reasons for me that UK, I mean, uh, like UK piercing history is, is so important is because you've got this period between like nineteen eighty seven and like nineteen ninety seven where no one's really sure what's legal, like, at all. They're not even sure they can do like you know like a like a helix piercing or something. Um, and so to you know, uncovering evidence of um, uh, of what happened in that time period becomes really difficult because understandably no one wants to talk about it you know um if you've Mm -hmm. got someone who's just gone to jail for doing something that they really truly thought was consensual and fine and actually really didn't involve much piercing whatsoever um you know it's it's tricky to to kind of get people to come forward and talk about that and share those kind of things when they're not really sure whether they were supposed to have done it or not Um, exactly
1: it's that sort of gray foggy area especially when you bring into the art, well, into the, co- the the extra complication of um, homosexuality and the laws yeah. against homosexuality which was still massively discriminatory during that period a lot of people are worried that they'll get in trouble now for what they did then and it's it's a, it's a big old gray area and I'm still I've got a list of people I need to gently persuade to share information with I'm not going to say harass but <laughs> gently persuade several times to maybe talk to me about and I've got a few of the people that are working with me also working on similar lists so we can find out more about those grey areas in time. Cool.
0: Um, so um, finally um, I don't know which came first, the archive or the degree but you, you, you either turned a degree into an archive or an archive into a degree right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I, I started the degree before the archive so this is my I'm in my second year of study, uh, about to go into my third, I'm doing it part-time. It's Again, it's something I've been putting off for years because I thought I couldn't afford it but it turns out I still had some funding left because I didn't blow through it all in college. Um, so yeah, I'm doing a, an, an arts and humanities degree with the hope that I can utilise that more and use that with the archive a lot more. And, it's not quite exactly how I thought it was going to be because it's a little more vague. And I don't know what I was expecting. Like, I'd get the option to study piercing history or something with the Open University, which isn't the case. But it's made studying and research a lot easier. Yeah. Um, stressful, for sure, um, at times because it's, it's been a very long time since I've been in any sort of formal education. But it's been one of the best decisions. And it's I would have kicked myself if I put it off any longer because. I love it. It's one of those things like, I can find the time to do it. And it's genuinely interesting, because you get to think from so many different perspectives, and it makes you question how you learn, why you learn, why you do what you do. And again, being able to learn from what's happened before and find all these cool sources. Like, some of the books I've read are incredible. And it's just bizarre that, wait, wait, you don't want to read about. Sex in the
0: seventeen hundreds, but it's a fascinating, you know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, I, I I did the same thing. I like I I did my degree alongside piercing, and um, uh, having <laughs> it was also queer history that made me so fascinated with different, um, uh, like uh, the the sort of the intersections of piercing history with all these kind of things. Um, and it does baffle me that no one would want to learn about like. Right. Um, I mean, even things like I mean stuff that I would never have selected. Um, like during my degree, we did like a module on um, uh, like piracy and stuff like that. And I would never. Yeah. I, oh, it's awesome. I've got so much material. If you ever want to buy it, uh, buy it. Sorry, just if you ever want to have it, you're welcome to it. Just trying to try and sell you books. Um, uh, but yeah, like like even things like that, which you you think you probably aren't going to be all that relevant to the period of history that you're actually interested in, will at least give you some kind of um, different prism to view it through, right? Um,
1: Exactly.
0: Cool. Um, So, um, I think I'll I'll probably draw it to a bit of a close there, if that's okay. Um, Have you got anything else that you'd like to add or you'd like people to know?
1: Um, Yeah, just one last thing. Um, Obviously, this pandemic has been devastating for so many different reasons. And last year, myself, Andrew Davenport, Jabba, and uh, and Liam Dyson put our heads together and created the Piercer Fund. For anyone that's not aware of this, it is um, just something we put together on PayPal that people from our industry and outside the industry have donated to, and it's emergency funds. So if you are having a rough week where you can't decide, or you have to decide if it's electricity or food or if you are really behind on rent and you just need a little breathing space that's what that money has been put together for um it's still going people can still ask for help from the piercer fund people can still donate to the piercer fund as well if they're if they feel like they can the piercer fund is is not something you have to pay back at any point you do not have to use it just on piercing stuff in fact with prefer you to use it however it's going to help you best Um, and I just want to make everyone aware because I've had a lot of people say this when they've come and asked for help from the fund that it's all going to stay anonymous no one's going to say oh Charlie's asked for money from the piercer fund this week none of that gets made public and quite a lot of people have already asked for help from the piercer fund you are not going to be the first you certainly won't well I hope you'll be the last but you probably won't be but it's still going and it's going to continue going for as long as it is needed um so you can contact myself Andrew Davenport or Liam Dyson if you think that you might benefit from the piercer fund and if you would like to donate it's a uh, paypal and just search at piercer help 2020 and every every little helps i know it's cheesy but it's really made a difference to some people and i think it's just the more people we can keep in this industry the more people we can keep together in our little family the better so no matter what's happened just drop me a message and we'll see what we can do cool
0: um and, and everyone's cool to contact either jabber or liam too right if they uh you know
1: absolutely so, yeah. I like, um, sometimes messages for me will sleep, i do the uh that's not of hidden folder on facebook yeah. so if i haven't mm-hmm. responded to your message um like, message one of the other guys, or comment on a post that I've made from, like, 10 years ago, and I'll be like, who is this creep? And then it'll come up, and you've messaged me, and this is your way to get in touch. So I apologize to anyone that I don't get back to right away, but that's why there is three of us, so you can reach out at any time, bother us. Um, Andrew's normally up very, very early, because he is a parent. Liam is up very, very early, because he is a parent. I am normally up very late, because I'm not. So there's <laughs> one of us available. Cool.
0: Um, wonderful. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it really has been lovely talking to you. Um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I look forward to having to listen to this back and listen to my voice. <laughs> <laughs> but no, thank you very much for having me. I can and,
0: modify uh, it. We have time to have a chat. Cool. Um, right, thanks, Charlie. So that was the interview with Charlie Lebov. Um, I hope you see what I meant at the start. I mean, uh, Charlie's knowledge and the experience that she has um, is, is is almost unmatched. Um, uh, I, I think that interview could potentially have gone, uh, you know, three four hours if we were to, uh, to 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 go into each of those individual subjects um, in in even more depth. Um, Uh, So, yeah, I mean, in in a massively unlikely event that you you don't already know um, who Charlie is, you should absolutely check out her work. She is undoubtedly one of the UK's top piercers, um, has worked in some of the UK's most prestigious studios, um, and continues to push forward and try and make our industry a better place, like you say. Um, Founding member of UKAPP, founding board member of UKAPP instrumental in setting up the Piercer Support Fund. yeah, she, uh, just a, a really incredible piercer and I think she's going to be one of those piercers that um, in 20, 30, 40, 50 years time, um, maybe the same way that we talk about people like uh, Jim Ward and Alan Oversby um, I think we will probably be, be talking about Charlie so um, yeah, thanks for coming on Charlie. Um, and we'll wrap it up just by saying if you feel like you need access to the support fund um, I've spoken to a lot of people who will often say things like well, maybe my situation's not bad enough. Um, I tell you now, if you feel like you need to access this fund, your situation requires you to access this fund. So don't have any kind of sort of imposter syndrome or anything like that um, about reaching out to either Charlie um, uh, Jabber, Andrew Davenport or Liam Dyson um, for, um, uh, for, for, for uh, you know a, um, some a contribution from that fund because um, it really has been life support for um, a great number of, of, of peers throughout the last year um, and, um, and it uh, I've not had a payout from it personally, but um, certainly very, very, gra- very grateful that it exists. Um, and of course, if you want to uh, support the fund and, and pop some money to it yourself, um, contact any one of those three and they'll be very happy to um, arrange for that to, for, for that to happen. Um, So, um, that's the end of that interview, Um, uh, I I really hope you enjoyed it as as much as I enjoyed performing it, Um, and I'll see you throughout the week, and um, probably Friday night, um, on Just a Piece of Hangout.